Hello, and welcome to the Brookwood Church Ministries podcast. My name is Mark Taylor. I'm the adult discipleship pastor here at Brookwood. The message you're about to hear was given by Jonathan Bright on the subject of being an awesome dad. It was recorded at the Men's Connecting Point at Brookwood Church. We pray this is really helpful for you along your journey. Yes, I know normally you're supposed to say there's nowhere in the world I'd rather be than with you guys tonight, but um, this morning I was literally, my feet were in the sand in Charleston, and uh, I'd rather be there. I'm just going to be honest. No, um, I, I am very excited to be here, and it, this is a passion of ours um, to be in front of a group like this, and, and I'll tell you, um, don't make light of, of what it is you all are doing here. Um, there'll be no cameras here. This will not be on the news tonight. There's no fireworks. There's no bells. Um, but the sad reality is very few churches are doing much of anything to engage the men of their church. Um, men's ministry, in many ways, is the redheaded stepchild of most churches um, for a lot of different reasons. But most of the reasons are because the men who are necessary to move it forward and to carry it for a lot of reasons aren't willing to do so because of their schedules, because of things going on in their lives and things like that. And so the fact that you guys are making a, an effort uh, to meet regularly, uh, to come together specifically as a group of men, to, to be encouraged and to support and to pour into one another, one another is no small feat. And so um, I just, I'm, we're excited to be here. I do just want to quickly mention, and, and the reason I share that video is hopefully just by seeing some of the images, you get a little bit of an idea of what it is we're trying to do as a ministry. Uh, as Tom said, which by the way, Tom has been just great, uh, us working together, um, preparing to be here. Um, our mission, we say we want to help fathers leave a godly legacy by creating Christ-centered experiences with their children. And uh, legacy is a word that we talk about a lot. And what we try to stress anytime we speak to a group of guys is we are all leaving a legacy behind. The only question is what type of legacy is it that we are leaving? Because we're either gonna leave behind a legacy of godliness a heritage that will live beyond us, live in the lives of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, or we will leave behind a legacy of brokenness, of confusion, of sadness, of depression, of all the things that uh, our world faces today. And what we believe is if men will get our role right, then so many of the problems that our world faces can get right too. Um, there are a lot of great ministries in this community, just like in my community in Spartanburg, we basically are in the same community. I mean, there are things that deal with homelessness and, and, and drug addiction and teen pregnancy and, and all these things, and they're wonderful, wonderful, necessary ministries. But I like to say that I believe for the most part, a lot of those ministries, they are symptom ministries. They are dealing with a symptom, but they don't address the real sickness. Now we know the real sickness is people need a relationship, a life-changing, healing, restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that God's design of how to do that is for the man to do that and to lead and guide his own family towards that end. 
I believe God's design is for each and every one of us to be the evangelist of our own home. And yet, if you look at our culture, that's not what we see happening. What we see is we see a culture that is, that is bearing the fruit of generation after generation after generation of men who have, many times we have abandoned our post. Somewhere along the line, we have decided that it is someone else's job. Because I'm out every day, I'm pounding the pavement, I'm earning my living, I'm bringing home a check for my family, which I'm not trying to minimize that at all. Obviously, we need to do that. We need to provide for our families. And because we are busy in the pursuit of providing for our families, we have somehow rationalized or excused ourselves from the other role. We've decided that it is a pastor's job, that it is a youth pastor's job, or a children's pastor's job. It is a teacher's job. It is, it is a coach's job. It is a mother's job. It is my wife's job. And our culture is going right along with it. I want you to think about, think about the, the children's, the family shows that were on television maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago. Just think about the sitcom, sitcoms. I know we have a lot of different ages here, but go way back. And let's think about some of the really popular television shows from 30, 40, 50 years ago. You had shows like the Andy Griffith Show, right? My Three Sons. You moved a little bit later, you had the Brady Bunch. All of these shows, the father was very present. He was very involved. He worked hard. But when there was an issue in the family, who did everyone know to go to to help find resolution? The father, right? He was there. He was engaged. It, he didn't pawn it off on anybody else. He didn't make excuses. He was around. He was engaged. He led his family. Now, it wasn't necessarily spiritual, but he was clearly seen as the leader of the family. Now I want you to think about the shows that have been popular in recent days. Think about shows like The Simpsons, Modern Family, Family Guy. Now I want you to think, and some of you, you, you can't, I mean you're in church so you can't even admit if you watch those, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I want you to think about those shows even if you've just flipped through and seen them just for a second. How is the father portrayed in, in those shows? He's wimpy, he's a buffoon, he's, he, we become a punchline. We have, in a culture, men, fathers, have become a punchline. We are a joke. And can I tell you, some of it we have brought on ourselves. Because for years, we have surrendered our role and convinced ourselves because we're working hard to provide for our families that it's okay. You know, it's interesting, the word provision we have somehow really limited the scope of that word to mean financial provision. But I believe when we are to provide for our families, that word has much more meaning than just the financial aspect. We are supposed to provide emotionally for our families. We are supposed to provide spiritually for our families. It is so much more than me going to work and bringing home a check. And yet, because in that pursuit and in our busyness and because, and it's not just work. Some of you are involved in leadership in this church. 
You help coach your kids' teams. You're on the homeowners association. You're on a committee at work. I mean, there's all sorts of things that you do that just pull and pull and pull and pull. And because all of it is important, we decide to let good be the enemy of great. And what great is supposed to be in our lives is us looking around and saying, it's no one else's job, it is my job to lead my family. And it is my job to make sure that I leave behind a legacy that is gonna outlive me and a legacy that is a godly one. And that is at the heart of everything we try to do with Faith for Fathers. And, and just, um, I, you saw our ad for our Father-Son Weekend. We're about a week and a half away from uh, closing the registration from that. And so if that's something that might be interest of you, I would love for, to see some of you join us for that. It is an incredible weekend. You can learn more about that on our website. And I also wanted to mention one of the things, we've, we've kind of moved into the Greenville area in about the last year and a half. Uh, you saw our Cinderella's Ball event. We now do that in Greenville. We do it in downtown. There's a beautiful venue called Zen. We've done it the last two years there. It's been fantastic. Um, so we do that. And one of the other things we do is we do a monthly luncheon called Dad's Life. And it is just for dads. It's kind of like this. We do it during the week, during the lunch hour. Some people can make it with their work. Some people can't. We do that. It's literally the worst location in the world. We do it the Fuddruckers right on Woodruff Road, which that's no problem getting around at lunchtime. But um, some people can make it. Some people can't. Um, and, and we're exploring. Maybe we need to add a second location in Greenville just because uh, that's pretty hard to get to for some people. But one of the things we do each month is we take a topic, and sometimes it's very uh, culturally re relevant. I mean, it'll be something that's been in the news that week, or it may be something, uh, a very general biblical principle. But we'll just take a topic and we'll kind of drill down into it, that we won't try to solve the world's problems. We'll just take one thing and we'll just, very much like what you guys are doing here tonight, we'll just try to get a group of guys discussing a topic together. Because, you know, the old adage, we is smarter than me. And we just try to share collective wisdom. Here's an example. This is on just the, the subject of honesty. It's called, I cannot tell a lie. And so we talk about that as a group that day. And one of the things we try to do is we try to send each man who comes, we try to send them away a little more equipped to talk about that subject than they were 45 minutes earlier. And we, we put one of these in their hand. You can also go to our website and download them. We have dozens of, of different ones. But this is called a table talk. And we jokingly refer to these as idiot-proof devotionals because that's what we need as men many times. Can I get an amen? I don't know if this church is Baptist, but can I get an amen, all right? Um, but it literally says, say this, and you read it. Read this passage Watch this, ver this video that we found for you. Ask these questions. I mean, it is that idiot proof. And the thing is, and I know for some of you this sounds insulting and I don't mean it to be at all. But here's the reality. Most men, even godly men who love the Lord and believe everything I'm saying right now, they still are oftentimes intimidated to do anything of a spiritual nature with their family because here's the reality that we've learned. Most men would rather do nothing than to risk doing something poorly 
and be embarrassed, especially in front of our families. Some of you, and I don't know who you are, I'm not going anywhere specifically with this, but you may have an issue, maybe your wife tends to be a little critical of you. And so the thought of you fumbling around with a devotional and her just kinda calling you out on that, that's just like about the worst possible thing you can imagine. And we get that. And so our thing is, if we've talked together about it, and we've given you a resource to talk about it, and we can send you away and say, now, just do this with your family. You're a little more confident and feel a little more equipped to do something like that. And I tell our guys this all the time. Let's assume you do nothing spiritually with our family, your family. And can I just say, statistically speaking, let's assume there's about 100 people in this room, 95 of you, that would be exactly the case. I hope that's not the case in the room, but that's the case in most churches. But let's assume that nothing's happening spiritually in your home. And you just take one of these and one time a month, you sit down for 10 minutes and you read a few sentences, ask a few questions and and let them see a a video that kind of sparks their curiosity and you pray together. And you do that 12 times in a calendar year, one time a month. If we all met together on the exact same day a year from now, for many of you, you know what that would represent? Transformational change within your family. You would see God do things you cannot imagine if we just took that small, minuscule step. And so those are tools, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be honest about where men are and trying to engage them right there and trying to get them to take a step towards truly leading their families. So what our families need from us, what our culture needs again, is for dads to be awesome again. But you know the reality is, a lot of us don't feel awesome. We don't feel awesome because of our work. We don't feel awesome because maybe of our marriage. We don't feel awesome because we feel like a failure many times as a parent. We don't feel awesome because of some of the wounds that we deal with from our own childhood. And somewhere along the way, we've bought into the lie that we're not awesome and that we're not supposed to be. And the culture constantly affirms this notion. But God's design is for you to be awesome, not so that you can have some big, huge ego. It's so that you can pour into and invest into the lives of your family and lead and guide them to places they can't go without you. But we have to believe that that is what God has called us to do and called us to be. And we have to go pursue it. No one's gonna give it to you. No one's gonna encourage you on your own. You gotta go do it. And that's why what you're doing here is so important and so amazing. Your kids need you to be awesome because the world is seeking to eat them alive. Your wife needs you to be awesome because everything she reads in a magazine or sees on television shows her all the ways she does not measure up to what society tells her she's supposed to be. Heck, even when she comes to church and she sees the families that have it all together and she's barely making it in the door, she feels like a a failure and an utter mess. Your family needs you to be awesome. And you are not capable of being awesome on your own. 
And the moment that we begin to understand that and we start to ask the question, what does it take for me to become the man that God's not just made me to be, but called me to be? That's when we begin to make progress. So I wanna take a few minutes tonight and I wanna talk to you about what your kids need. Now, how many of you have, just by show of hand, how many of you have kids under the age of 18? Raise your hand. Kids under the age of 18. How many of you have kids over the age of 18? Raise your hand. How many of you have no kids at all? All right. How many of you had a father? All right, all right, I think we got everybody, okay. I like to be relevant. No, um, so we wanna talk about a couple of things that kids need from dad, and, and, I, and obviously this is not gonna be an exhaustive list, but I would say, whether your kids are grown and you think, well, that doesn't really apply to me anymore, I would tell you respectfully, I don't think you could be more wrong because I need these exact same things from my dad who is in his 70s now and I'm in my 40s now as I did when I was 14. And your adult kids do too. And some of you, you're gonna hear some things tonight and it may, it may prick your heart a little bit because it may expose some scars and some wounds from your own past. And, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry if that's your experience. We all have that because we live in a sinful fallen world. But what we can do, we can't do anything about our past, but we can choose how we engage our future and how we engage those who are in our circle of influence. So first thing I want you to see tonight, what our kids need from us is a repentant heart. And I believe there's, there's two levels of this repentance. First, we must be willing to admit our sin and our failure to God. I want you to look, at, and I think these will be on the script. Well, they will be if I remember to turn it. Acts 3.19 says this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So our kids need us to have a repentant heart and that starts with us having a repentant heart before God. In other words, our kids, and you could go ahead and add your spouse, they need to see healthy vertical relationship. We need to model that for them. They need to see that we have an understanding of who we are and who God is. And the way they see that is that they see a truly repentant heart in us because here's the thing, we all have done or said or thought things that we should not have. We live in a sinful, fallen world. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. What matters is what we do with that realization. And so that starts with coming to a, need, a, a recognition that I need a relationship with God. And I know I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. I'm in a church men's group, but I don't like to ever assume anything. And so the first thing that your kids need from you, that your spouse needs from you, is do you have a right relationship, a vertical relationship with God? Have you come to the point where you recognize there is no amount of money or title or position or friends or hobbies that is ever gonna take the the place of the sin that exists in your heart and life. And the only way that that can be dealt with is for you to surrender and to repent and to invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life. Do your kids know that about you? Have you shared your testimony 
with them. Like how you came to know, know the Lord. What the circumstances were behind it. How old you were. Where you were. They need to understand that I know that there is a God and that I know that I am a sinner and only way, the only way that I can have a relationship with that God is for me to first admit my sin and my failure before him. I have to get my vertical relationship right before anything else can happen in my life. And they need to see that in me. I need to model that for my wife. I need to model it for my kids. And quite honestly, for anyone I know, co-workers, family, neighbors. So I must admit my sin and failure to God. That is part of having a repentant heart. But secondly, we must be willing to admit our sin and our failure to our families. And man, is this hard, especially as men, because we don't like to admit we fail at anything. And we certainly don't like to admit when we've been wrong. Look at this verse, James 5, 16 says this. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we must first model to our families an understanding of a relationship with God, showing them a healthy vertical relationship. But secondly, we must model healthy horizontal relationships and it starts first and foremost with our families. We have to be willing to admit to our spouse, to our children, that we don't always get it right, that we sometimes lose our temper, that we sometimes don't handle things we sh the way we should. We have to have the courage to be vulnerable before them so that we can teach them what a healthy relationship will look, for, look like going forth. Because they're going to, in many ways, they're gonna handle life exactly the way they see us handle it. And so if they see us living lives of pride and resistance and stubbornness and anger, that is exactly the way they will approach the world. So let me ask you a question rhetorically tonight. How are you doing with the vertical relationships in your life? I guarantee in a room this size, size, we have someone in this room that has very strained relationships within their family. Maybe with your, your mom or your dad or a step parent. Maybe there's a, a situation with a sibling. How, do your, how does your family see you handle that relationship? How do they see you handle the difficult neighbor or the situation at church that is sometimes uncomfortable to talk about? We have to teach our kids how to work in horizontal relationships. And one of the best ways we can do that is to let them see it in our own homes. You know, some of the best work I do as a father and as a husband is when I mess up. Because in those brief moments where I allowed my pride to move off to the side and I can get down at my child's level, even my eight-year-old son, and I can just get down right eye to eye and I can just say, Cameron, man, I really blew that. I lost my temper. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? 
You know what my eight-year-old son's going to say. He's going to laugh, and he's going to throw his arms around me. He's going to hug me, and he's going to say yes. And he's going to forget about it, sort of. But if day in, day out, if I allow my wife, if I allow my kids to see me, to allow them to see the moments where I acknowledge, I admit my failure to them, my sin to them, and I ask for their forgiveness, you know what they see? They see a man with a repentant heart. They see a man who's not afraid to say he's sorry to God and his vertical relationship and a man who's not afraid to say he's sorry to the people in his life. Because as long as we have relationships with humans, we're gonna have to say I'm sorry from time to time. Again, that's the result of living in a sinful, fallen world. So what our kids, what our spouses, what our families need from us is they need a repentant heart. They need to see a man who models a healthy vertical and healthy horizontal relationships. Next, they need from us our time and our attention. I'm gonna read a verse for you in just a moment, actually a, a short passage. But there was a study done, actually this is an older study and I, I've, I have intended to find newer material and I just have not, but this is several years old. And basically they did a, a survey where they got a group of men, various ages, but all working age professional men and asked them to say how much time they thought they spent in meaningful conversation a day with their children. And, and I, I don't know exactly um, all the methodology because I don't know what they did with kids that are dads that had more than one child, preschool, I don't know any of those details, I'm sorry. But that was the general ideas. How much time a day do you think you spend with your children? And most of the guys, the, the average, it averaged out, most of the guys said, I think I spend about 15 to 20 minutes of having intentional conversation with my kids. Not just in the car, not just watching TV in the same room, but we're talking. And that's, that seems pretty reasonable to me. I mean, it's like, that doesn't seem too outlandish either end. That seemed like a pretty fair estimate to me. But they actually... And I, again, I don't know how they did this, but they actually tracked the amount of time that was being spent in actual conversation with their kids. Do you know how much time was being spent? 10 minutes, I heard, I heard a, a bunch of things. The actual time was an average of 37 seconds a day in meaningful conversation. 37 seconds. Now, Again, I thought the 15 to 20 minutes was a reasonable guess. That's probably what I would have said, something like that. But it does show a great point because as men, we will always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, won't we? We'll always err on the high side or the low side as needed. Like, how much money do you earn? I earn about 100,000 a year. That's anything over $50,000 and one cent. Or how, what'd you score? It was like um, right around 80. 
That's what we'll say. That's like 89 and lower is right around 80. That's how we do golf. I mean, so we'll always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Now, the study showed that the average preschooler spends 30 to 50 hours watching a television, a tablet, a phone, a device a week. 30 to 50 hours, the average preschooler, 37 seconds. So we work so hard so we can buy all the things that our kids are clamoring for. And we allow those things to raise our children because we're not there because we're working so hard. And I know that's not the case. In fact, I hope it's not the case for anybody in this room. But I'm telling you, it is the case many times in our society. They need our time and attention. But it's not just our time. It needs to be intentional time. Look at this passage from Deuteronomy. It's one of my favorite passages. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now that, that reference to symbols on your hands and foreheads was an Old Testament reference where guys would literally, they had these little boxes, they would write part of the law, put it on their box and they would wear them. That, so that, but the idea is, all day. You know when I see this verse, you know what I see? This is, this is a picture of living life with your children and letting them see you do life. They don't just need to have us drop, and, and listen, this is not about this church or any church, but we can't just drop them off at the church and say, go get some Jesus. I'll be back in two hours. Or you go get some Jesus and I'll get some Jesus and we'll go home and then next week, guess what? We'll come and get some more Jesus. That's so many times what, what it is we're doing. We have made it everybody else's job and everybody else's responsibility. But what our kids need from us is they need our time and our attention and there is nothing else that can take the place of it. And, and I want to be real careful, though, because I want to make clear, this is not just time. I see men who spend hours and hours and hours and hours every week driving a son or driving a daughter to and from a practice, to and from a travel ball tournament, to and from a practice, to and from a travel ball tournament. I mean, they are together all the time. But if we're being really honest, and, and, and some do this, but most do nothing to seek to use that time to intentionally lead their kids in any sort of spiritual growth. So it's not just time I can sit on Sunday and I can watch two football games with my son and sometimes do. 
And that's like a good six and a half, seven hours, right? And there is nothing in the world wrong with that. But I can't convince myself that I have spent quality time investing into the life of my child because I sat and watched seven hours of football with them. Now I can take that same football game and there might be a couple of times where there's an injury or there's a particularly kind of crude commercial and I can pause it and I say, Cameron, what do you think about that? What do you think of that injury if he never, if he never walks, if he never can play again? What do you think he'll find significance in his life then? Or I can look at that commercial and I say, did you see how that girl was dressed? Now, you think that message of that commercial, do you think that commercial is trying to draw people closer to God or pull them away from God? I can just ask that and I don't have to say another word. And it can just start some conversation, just kind of like here. You got to start and have some conversation. You never know what's going to go. So you can take the ordinary and you can claim that and you can turn them into teachable moments. So please don't hear me say that the only thing you can do is bow on your knees and have devotionals all day. We need to live life with our families. They need to let us see us wrestling with the day-to-day -day things of life. I'll tell you a couple examples. And I, I, I keep mentioning Cameron. I do have two beautiful daughters, Elise and Abby, that are 16 and 13. But uh, just a couple of things with Cameron. Um, so Cameron plays Little League Baseball. And, you know, he's, he's pretty small. He started when he was six. So the first year, man, anytime the cup ball would come to him and he'd get hit a little bit or he'd go down on a knee and scrape it up, the kids, they're always wanting to come out of the game. They're like, dad, dad, it hurts. And so I'm, I'm like, I don't want to encourage that at all. So I'm in the dugout and I'm like, you're good, son, you're good, you're good. Just rub some dirt on it. Just pick some dirt up and rub it on it, it'll be fine. I mean, he thinks that's like medicine now because I'm just trying to take his mind off it so he'll keep going, right? So I say, just rub some dirt on it, you're good. And like some of the parents, I was helping coach the team and some of the parents were like, what are you doing? Why are you telling him to rub dirt on it? But it worked, okay? It distracted my son and it got him back on it. So, so last year at school, on the way to school, I dropped out on the way, I said, okay, son, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to find one way today to show kindness to someone. I'm gonna let you try to look for it, and tonight, I wanna hear what you did. He said, all right. So, get home, and I think, I think I picked him up that afternoon. He was either at dinner or in the car, I can't remember. But he was like, dad, you didn't ask me how about if I showed kindness today. I thought, oh, that's right, I forgot about it. Tell me what you did. He said, okay, so Timmy, I don't remember his name. Timmy was on the handlebars and he was up there playing. And like he fell down and like on the way down, his eye got caught on the handlebar, I mean on the bar and like it was really bad and like everybody stopped and the teachers came over and I was the first one there because I was right there where it fell. And, and he was holding his eye and he was screaming and crying. The teachers were rubbing it and he said, you know what I did? I said, I don't know. He said, I told him rub some dirt on it. <laughs> and part of me was like, yeah, he was listening. Now, that, that wasn't great counsel, but man, does it make a great point. Because you know what? Values are not taught by our children. They are caught by our children. And that goofy little thing that I was using just to try to take his mind off his skint knee as a six-year-old trying to play Little League Baseball 
Man, it stuck in his brain. And later down the road, in a way I would have never imagined, man, he tried to use that. They're watching a whole lot more than we realize. And they're picking up a whole lot more than we realize. So the question then becomes, what is it that they're picking up from us? What is it we're teaching? What are we showing that are the real priorities of our life? What are the things that we say are really important when it really comes down to it? With our daytimer, with our checkbook. How are we teaching them to treat a lady really when they see us engage their mother and our wife? How are we teaching to teach, treat our neighbors when we have some sort of disagreement in the neighborhood or at church or wherever it might be because they're watching a whole lot more. They need our time and attention. They need to let us live life and they need to watch us do it. I can talk to my son about and my kids about prayer all day long. You need to pray. Prayer is an important part of your life. Yep, yep, gotta pray. Got, we gotta do our blessing, all that. And I should. Well, let me tell you what's a whole lot more effective than that. We were down, do any, any of you ever go to Charleston? Anybody love Charleston? Okay, there's a place, if you don't know about it, Fiery Ron's Home Team Barbecue. Look it up, it's great. There's one downtown, there's one in Mount Pleasant. It's awesome. So we're down there at Fiery Ron's Barbecue the other night and we're waiting for our food and everything and our waitress comes and she's nice and we, you know, we kind of ask her name and everything. And so when the food comes, and I don't always do this, please don't think I do, but sometimes just kind of God just says, you need to do this right now. And so she comes and she brings all our food. You know, they drop everything. The last thing they do is, can I get you folks anything else? You know, that's kind of their way of saying, I'm not coming back till I bring the tip, I mean, to the check, right? I need to move on. And so right there, her name was uh, Liza. And so I said, Liza, we're about to say our blessing. Do you believe in prayer? Now that is, that is a great question to throw the waitress right there. I just said, do you believe that prayer works? And then she's kind of like, yeah. I said, well, we're gonna pray. And is there any way specifically we could pray for you? And she was kind of like, I said, no, I mean, I'm serious. Is there anything going on in your life or with your family that we can pray about? And she's like, well, no, I don't think. And then she stopped, she said, you know, I'm getting ready to graduate college. She said, I'm just not really sure what's gonna be next. I'm still trying to figure out. I said, well, why don't we pray about that right now? And we prayed. It took, the whole exchange took 45 seconds, including the blessing. And she said, afterwards, she said, that means more to me than you'll ever know. She walked away. Went through the rest of our meal. By the way, if you ever do this, do not be a bad tipper. You gotta leave a decent tip, okay? So if you're strapped for cash, don't do it. Wait till next month, okay? So you gotta leave her a decent tip, write a little nice note on the check, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we did that. Now, I can talk about prayer to my kids all I want. But in that moment, hopefully my kids learned a lesson about prayer. They see me as we're walking through, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, when you're living life. Christmas Eve, we're at my mom's house. And you know, our kids are getting older, but our one son is still eight, so we still 
Christmas Eve is still important, if you know what I'm saying, okay? You got to get that right, Christmas morning, all that kind of stuff. So it's late. It's like 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, and we're leaving my mom's, and we cut through downtown to get to our house. And so we go through downtown, and there's a homeless guy. And my son, he just has this huge heart. I'm thinking about, I want to get home. I want to get my kids in the bed so I can do the other stuff, so I can go to bed. I want, I'm doing it for them. And he's like, Dad, we should give that guy some food. <gasps> and I'm like, oh, God. So I say, no, son, it's, it's late. We need to go. And I, I make an excuse. And so we go, we keep on going. And I'm like, I just have this just in my heart. I'm like, oh, I, I am blowing this and I am just totally okay with it. I am going home. And so we go by, and I know any of you know Spartanburg, there's one decent sized building in Spartanburg called the Denny's Building. And they always light the office buildings to like a Christmas tree. And so Cameron was like doing this, looking at that homeless guy. His heart's melting for the homeless guy. And we drive by and, and he's like, I didn't get to see the Christmas tree. And so I'm like, oh, so I turn around, and I mean, I am mad. I just have the worst attitude, and we have, so we had some leftovers that we were taking home, so we drive up, and I said, okay, Cameron, me and you, we're going to get out, and I said, we've got um, some leftovers, and we're going to just go give him, we'll just go back here and see what we have, so we go back there, and so I'm looking through the leftovers. Now, you're about to see how shallow I am. I'm pretty shallow. We have the leftovers, but then over to the side, we have the chocolate raisin drop cookies. You know, the ones that you do on wax paper. That's like my favorite cookie in the world. My mom makes them for me on Christmas Eve. Those are for me. And so I'm like looking at anything else, but that is not an option. And my, my son, of course, says, oh, we should give him some of those cookies. And I'm like, no, not the cookies. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go give him some cookies. So we go over there and we, start, we just start talking to the guy. And we're like, hey, Christmas Eve, we just want to say hello and just wish you a Merry Christmas. And um, I mean, Cameron's just eyes this big. I mean, he is just, it's like a mental recorder. And, I'm, and so I, I have these cookies and, and I'm, I give them to Cameron. I said, when we get up there, you offer him the cookies. So Cameron gives him the cookies and he takes them and he's living in a tent. He was just waiting to go. It was pretty cold that night because where his tent was, it's dark. And he says, and I, I, I kind of wait till late because if anybody sees me go out there, they may, find, they may see me and then they may want me to move, blah, blah, blah. So we talked to him. And so there's another homeless guy about 10 steps down. So we go down to him. We give him cookies. We talk to him. And so we, we have a good conversation. And so I pull them together. And I mean, my other girls and my wife are all watching this. And so then I'm like, well, why don't, why don't we just, can we just pray for you guys before we go? And guys, I, I really, I can't stress to you enough, please do not think this is like a regular occurrence to me. I, this was, I was not like super comfortable doing this, okay? So we do it and we pray. So we're praying. And you know that feeling when you're like, your eyes are closed or you have your back turned and you just sense commotion behind you or around you? I, I'm praying and I'm feeling that. And I'm, I'm very uncomfortable because it's pretty late. And I'm with these two homeless guys and they're not, they don't mean any harm, you know. Well, all of a sudden a truck pulls up right beside us. 
And the guy just gets out. And I, I'm not going to lie, I was scared to death. I'm like, what is this? And the guy says, are you guys praying? I said, I said yeah. I said, we just met. I, I didn't want to say, we're feeling sorry for the homeless guy. No, I just said, yeah, we just met these guys. And uh, we're just, yeah, we're just praying. It's Christmas Eve, we're just praying. He said, can I get in on that? I'm like, yeah. So me and my son and these two homeless guys and this gentleman who was in a white pickup truck hold hands on Main Street at 11.30 on Christmas Eve and pray. Now I need to teach my family to love others and to have compassion. And I'll tell my son that, and I'll tell my daughters that, but I believe, and I may be proven to be wrong, I believe in the years to come, that may shape their view of what it means to love others and to be compassionate way more than any of my words. And the only way that can happen is when we give them our time and we give them our attention. We have to start living life with our families and they have to see us warts and all. They need that from us. I know we're almost out of time. Real quickly. Thirdly, they need your love and approval. I told you a few moments ago, these things, this is not just for young kids, teenagers. Every one of us, if we're being honest, we crave the love and approval of our father. Even if that relationship is broken, even if your father is no longer here on this earth. And some of us, quite honestly, as I said earlier, we have wounds that we are dealing with because of that. But our kids desperately need to know that we love them and that we approve of them. It doesn't mean we always approve of their choices, but that we approve of them. Look at this passage of scripture. 1 John 4, 10 through 12 says this, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I love this passage because this is such a perfect picture of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and how that fact should compel us in our relationship with others. It says not that we loved God, because scripture tells us that before we knew God, before we had a relationship with God, we were dead in our sins. Dead people can't do anything. In other words, we weren't capable of feeling anything towards God. God says we were his enemy. We were dead in our sin. And so it's not because 
we love God, but that he loved us. And he showed that love because he sent his son to be a sacrifice for our sins. And because God loves us in that way, that's how we should love others. Our love and acceptance of our spouse, of our children, of our neighbors, of our coworkers, of the people we sit in these, these rows with on Sunday after Sunday, it should not be about what they do or don't do. It should be about what God has done for us. And because he did something that we didn't deserve and couldn't earn, we should therefore seek to extend that type of love to anyone and everyone that we come into contact with. Again, it's how we have healthy horizontal relationships. If your horizontal relationships are only dependent on what they do or don't do, you will inevitably be disappointed and so many of your relationships will be broken. But if we can get and we can give to our children this idea that the way I treat others is not about how they treat me, it's because of how God has viewed me and what he has done for me. And because of that, I seek to show unconditional love to others the way God has shown unconditional love to me. Let me tell you what our kids, what our families need from us. They need to see in us our love and approval. But so often, do you know what they see? They see performance-based love. We love them as long as they do this or don't do this, say this or don't say that. They need to see that we love them, period. And in our flesh, we will never truly be able to love unconditionally. And yet that is the example that God has given us. That is what we should strive to do and to be because he loved us first and it had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with him. In the same way, our spouse, we need to love her unconditionally as much as humanly possible. We need to love our children unconditionally as much as humanly possible. Again, I can tell you a story with my son. Playing Little League, playing shortstop. And he just got to this stretch where he just wasn't really paying attention. Like two, three, four, or five games. And balls would just go right by him. And I'd get, I'd, come on, Karen. You can do better than that. Come on, wake up, wake up. And it reached a point, and I didn't realize it. But it had reached the point where I was like saying things to him from the sidelines that was like impacting him. And like he was like not even enjoying playing baseball anymore. He's eight years old and I'm expecting him to be an all-star. I was really proud of him when he made a good play. I was really proud of him when he was paying attention. I was really proud of him when he didn't strike out. And I didn't realize it. But in those moments, my love had become conditional based on his performance. And many of us have experienced that. It may have been grades. It may have been the person we chose to marry or the person we chose not to marry. Whatever it might be. But God expects us to show our families unconditional love as much as humanly possible because that is what he's shown us. So a repentant heart, your time and your attention and your love and your acceptance 
is what your children are desperate for, what your wife is desperate for. And the great thing is, when we seek to show that, we have an opportunity to hand those things down to them. And it can be extended beyond the walls of our home. It can be extended to their friendships and to their future spouses and to their kids. That is what a legacy that outlives you, a godly legacy looks like. So I just wanna challenge and encourage you God desires for you to be awesome. He desires to, for you to be an awesome husband, an awesome father, an awesome man, an awesome neighbor, an awesome coworker. And you can't do it on your own. But when we get that vertical relationship right and we allow that to be what drives our horizontal relationships, including our own children and our own spouse, that's when we can begin to take a step towards it. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth found within. And God, we just admit that as men, we so often fall short. God, we miss the mark. We're not equipped, we're not capable. We're not qualified, and thank God we don't have to be. God, when we are willing to humble and submit ourselves to you, Lord, when we get ourselves right before you, God, you can equip and enable us to have right relationships here on earth, including and most especially with our spouses and with our children. God, I pray for each and every one of these men. Lord, I, I pray for those who, as I've spoken tonight, Lord, God, their heart has been pierced. Maybe from their past, maybe recognizing some, some things that were not done with their father. And so, God, they stand at a moment of decision. Will I continue the cycle? Or will I break it? and begin to lead and guide my family in the name of Jesus. For others, it's a recognition that maybe they've just allowed themselves to kind of fall asleep at the wheel. It hasn't been on purpose and there's no one thing, but God, whatever it might be, I pray that tonight, Lord, they would just lay that before you and surrender it to you. God, we just ask for you to do a work in each and every one of our lives, Lord and to do a work in our families. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what a great message. If you were encouraged by this, uh, you can learn more about our men's ministry and other adult ministries at Brookwood by visiting brookwoodchurch.org forward slash adults or on the Brookwood Church app. Thanks for listening and have a great week.